Hello and welcome to the ISIS Magazine podcast. My name is Alex, one of the editors of the magazine. I'm also here with Barney, my co-editor, and today we're pleased to speak with the wonderful Bernard O'Donoghue, the celebrated Irish poet and an current emeritus fellow at Wadham College, who's been referred to as the nicest man in Oxford. Bernard has published 10 collections of poetry over almost 40 years, and also released several academic volumes, including critical studies of the poet Seamus Heaney and selections of work by Chaucer and Cecil Day Lewis. He has a particular interest in Middle English and has written a translation of the poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Bernard, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. So, my first question um, In Shelley's 1821 essay, Defence of Poetry, he famously wrote that poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. Yet it, it must be really difficult to reconcile the role of the individual poet in a society that's sort of swelling with the influence of modern technology and, and obviously the pandemic going on right now. Um, has the role of the poet changed since you first started writing and how do you think that it might change in the future? That's a very interesting question, of course. And uh, the question is what Shelley meant precisely, I suppose, and perhaps it wasn't all that precise. But um, I suppose saying the, the unacknowledged legislators um, makes you think about who the real legislators are, which is a position in relation to commenting on public events, I think. Um, uh, he, I mean, obviously, he's not thinking about them as, as passing laws or anything like that. But they are representing something with the implication, perhaps, that, the, um, that public politics don't always represent those things. Right. Okay. Um, I suppose poets, poets must see their work in the light of previous writers and in a broader literary context. Who do you think for you are the most important poetic models? And what of the critical work you've published? How has that guided and enlightened your own poetic output? Right. Um, well, I grew up in Ireland because I was 16, and so I grew up in sort of a Catholic um, Ireland. And so it meant that I think the, the kind of... Uh, things I read um, and the kind of things I tried to, um, to, to to study or to write when it came to that uh, were biased in that sort of direction. You know, it was um, yeah. um, uh, I became a medievalist, um, which was pretty predictable, I think. I mean, a lot of medievalists are yeah. a Catholic background, you know, um, yeah. so the great, the great figure is somebody like Dante, you know. Mm. Um, but when you, when you go into that, in, into um, uh, medieval religious literature, you, you kind of know it already, you know, you're kind of halfway there from the, mm. you know, from the Latin mass and, and so on. I mean, yeah, the, the classic experience is Seamus Heaney's, of course, he had this great kind of fondness for, um, uh, for Latin, um, uh, for Virgil and so on. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I come, I come from the same kind of um, uh, background as that, really. Um, so I just sort of towards the medieval, um, uh, because not 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 just not just the Latin medieval. I mean, Chaucer was my great um, inspiration, and perhaps my my favourite writer, really. Um, right. So, um, and, and I wonder. I sort of have two questions going off that. Firstly, do you think that um, in a, a modern world? Um, 
medieval poetry and and poetry as you say that's sort of grounded in the the understanding of latin etc is is an inaccessible one yeah that, no that's that, that's clearly a, a very important uh, mm. issue um uh, and it, it it is a different sort of world picture i suppose that uh, the mm. medieval one from from the modern in many ways but there are all kinds of connections i think um um in, in the 19th century, you know, you get uh, connections with um, um, with medieval romance. You know, you got uh, Tennyson and mm. Mallory, that kind mm. of thing. But uh, it became more martyr than at the beginning of the 20th century, when kind of you know Latin Christendom, whatever it's called, you know, the the, the world of Dante and, and mm. writers like that, were hugely kind of venerated by people by the modernists, by people mm. like um, Eliot and Pound. Um, and Yeats, so that um, there was a connection uh, more than much projected I think, between the, the modern and the medieval. Um, mm. There was a great kind of cult of medievalism, I think. Um, right. So as far as the literary evidence goes, there isn't, um, uh, there isn't a, a big divide there. It's, and it's the mm. same kind of question about how the, um, uh, about how the um, the literary world relates to the actual world of politics. You know, mm. the, the, the yeah. real I'm a, I'm a classicist and I'm always struck by how uh, Virgil's political concerns map on on onto questions of empire and yes. um, command really really well even even today yes. um, and that's yes, absolutely the, and that was part of the inspiration for Heaney of course and, uh, yeah it wasn't just the Aeneid it was primarily the Aeneid but it was also the uh, uh, the the the, uh, the eclogues and so on that Heaney yeah. uh, turned to yeah and the, the kind of country background. Um, yeah. Being a, a medievalist, um, I wonder if it's difficult to reconcile the, the traditions and beliefs of um, the past um, with the vast modernity of the present, and, and if you perhaps find out any surprising similarities between um, the the focuses and um and interests of old middle english literature with uh, modern habits and practices and, and desires yes um i mean old and middle i suppose really mm -hmm. um i mean um i, I said sometimes that that um the, the old English elegies, since the wanderer and the seafarer and the wife's lament and so on, mm. seem to me to be the model of the perfectly constructed lyric poem, you know, in that you get a description of experience and then a kind of moral mm. uh, drawn at the end of it. So it's a perfect balance, I think, of how, um, of how the, um, not exactly preaching, but the, the sort of um, illustrative mm. um, domain poem can, can, can develop, you know. So I think a lot of the... The shape of modern dairy poetry is very often connected with them, with, with the elegies. Mm. But also, I mean, uh, connections with, you know, Chaucer and Boccaccio and so on. I mean, I think that a lot of the, the kind of, especially the, perhaps the comic world of the mm. medieval writers links very directly. Uh, it's, it's the origin of the novel, the period of the novel, after mm. all the, uh, those medieval stories, and the novelle and so on. Mm. Um, so there is... Um, no, there's clearly a lot in common. There, there, mm. there are differences too, of course, but as the um, as the literary tradition develops, it mm. uh, it does different things. But I often, I'm, I'm often 
sometimes I'm quoting uh, what F.R. Leavis said. He said, what we must primarily do is show that, show that we have lived in our own time. You know, you've got mm. to give evidence yeah. of what it is like to be in the time that you're currently in. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. However, that relates to, um, uh, to early periods of literature and so mm. on. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. I, I'm just remembering now, uh, just to refer back to Heaney in Latin, a day Lewis translation of the Georgics yes, uh, and his association between the Georgics and the Second World War yes. and the relationship between agricultural, agricultural cultivation and, um, and violence and chaos. Yes. And that, that whole tradition from my perspective seems to be kind yes. of, kind of cognates the association between, between Latin and, and the Irish, Irish medieval mindset, I suppose. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Dale Lewis is a very interesting um, case in point, I think. I mean, uh, he, he wrote the, um, a famous poem called you know, Where Are the War Poets? So the idea of um, the connection between the, um, the, the medieval and the modern is very strong there. Yeah, yeah. So, Bernard, you moved at the age of 16 from County Cork in Ireland to Manchester. Could you say a little bit about your, your childhood stretched across the Irish Sea? And, yeah. and as, as time has passed, have you come to see yourself more as Irish or as English? And do you detect right. any kind of differences in their traditions, their poetic right. traditions as both countries? Right. Um, um, well, I grew up in Ireland, in the Irish countryside, with, with, a, with a mother from Manchester. Okay. Um, I mean, her, her parental name from McNulty and Shane, so they were kind of Irish origin. But we grew yeah. up in a very kind of um, English literary kind of world, you know, in the... Um, from, English as a spoken language, so um, so the, the the culture we belonged to in literary ways was uh, was English really. Um, so and so we're growing up there, uh, we sometimes came with her back to Manchester for holidays. So we thought of Manchester as the as the exotic really, and the <laughs> and the kind of uh, the eclogue countryside of Ireland as being as being normality. So an interesting kind of uh, variation in the relationship, but um. I mean, I'm, I'm decidedly Irish, you know, I mean, um, yeah. in, it, it, I'm in totally Irish, I'm totally Irish, but um, uh, um, in, in connection through language and literature with, uh, with the English tradition. So it's a, it's a fairly common but complex kind of relationship in a way. Yeah, um, I suppose shared by Yeats to an extent. Yes, kind of. yes, that's right. And also, I mean, um, the... English literature sort of um, embraced um, the, the Irish writers, didn't it? I mean, writers like Yeats and Joyce. I mean, the, yeah. the great, um, the great modernists, the two of the great modernists, yeah. uh, were Irish. So Irish literature was no longer something mm. opposed. You know, there was it yeah. wasn't a different cultural mm. tradition. Yeah, um, uh, they, they kind of belonged together. So even surpassed um, the kind of the fairly old-fashioned Victorian English tones, didn't it? The turn of the century, yes, yes. almost. Yes, I mean, Ulysses is the greatest English novel of the 20th century. Yeah. yeah. Um, somebody said about Heaney once that um, uh, have, um, Robert Lowell said he was um, he was the, the, the best Irish poet since Yeats, mm -hmm. the greatest Irish poet since Yeats. But um, some, a bit later on, somebody said he was then now become the greatest English poet since Yeats. You know, so yeah. Um, <laughs> it's. Uh, um, there's a the the paradox there, isn't there, always between these? Yeah, there is, yeah, there is. Mm. But of course, the, the, the two, the literature is, is, is totally kind of interconnected. I mean, mm. yeah. short story writers like Frank O'Connor, 
um, belong very um, uh, wholly to a kind of English or Australian mm. Russian tradition as well. You know, so yeah, yeah, of course. So, mm. Break there. There are kind of cultural divisions, I suppose, mm. but you know. Um, You've been the cultural division. Oh, sorry. What you know about the world tends to be different. When I mentioned, mm. you know, um, giving evidence you lived in your time, I mean, having lived as Irish in England is a bit different from um, kind of standard mm. um, English cultural um, history. Yeah, um, of course. It's not, it's, not, it's not better or worse, it's just um, mm. different. You know? Different angle on it. Yeah. 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 Mm. So you've been a tutor here at Oxford for many years um, and had some some students who've gone on to um, be quite well known in their own right, including Rosamund Pike and Ian Hislop. And I wonder, in your sense of it, how has the city and the university and the students changed in your time? And I wonder if the, the priorities and concerns have um, moved or developed in unusual or unpredicted, unpredicting ways. Yes, um, that's really. I mean, of course, I, I was um, I was a student here as well, so mm. I, I was a different generation of students, mm. and then uh, lots of generations of a lot of teaching students. Mm. Um, uh, I, 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 um, I'm very pro-student. I mean, I think that. Mm. Um, the students are not exactly the unacknowledged legislators, but they're the they're, they're the kind of um, the sort of brains of modernity and so on. Mm. And I, th I suppose I'm sure it's true of students in all in all fields and disciplines and so on. But um, in the humanities, you know, almost by definition, the um, students are sort of idealists with um, mm. idealistic takes on the world. Mm. Um, I don't think they've changed. I mean, I think that um, I think that it seems to me that the same same sort of virtues that they always did. Mm. There are different areas, I suppose, in terms of um, interest in political action and so on. Mm. When I was a student uh, in the 60s, you know, um, there was a lot of, uh, of politics and excitement and modernity going on. That wasn't a pretty mm. good example of any of that, I think, but, but um, uh, that's what the world was like mm. then. Um, and I think that it became, through the 70s, it became uh, a bit more perhaps conventionalised, I'm mm. not sure. Um, but um, um, I think fundamentally it's the, 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 the same, mm. same kind of principles and the same interests mm. and so on. I mean, I suppose the, the centre of it is, is the interest in language, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Poetry yeah. with everything else, really. Um, You've previously spoken about the importance of globalism. Um, what extent do you think that poetry or literature at large can help shape our, our collective understanding of global issues and, as you say, um, that preoccupation with um, modernity and, and activism? Yes. Um, well, uh, globalism and internationalism is the great, the great thing, really. And I, mean, I think that is, I suppose, um, that is something that has changed in that people have more access perhaps to the to the world more widely at least they did until this year you know mm. um, uh, there's a, a more international sort of perspective on the on the world um, mm. it's not so easy to be um, to be narrowly defined um, so the idea of the world um, 
not exactly as being kind of single and global, but um, mm. as being, you know, connected, uh, interconnected is, mm. uh, is, uh, is, the, is the crucial thing, really. Yeah. Um, and I said, we must understand each other, I suppose, as well as, um, yeah. as, well as giving evidence mm. that we have been alive in our time. Yeah, yeah I suppose you must. Mm. Just to build on that, on that discussion, there's been a, a sort of discussion recently in, in public about the removal of, of, of poetry from the GCC English syllabus. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that, firstly? And also, how did you come to poetry? Oh, we've spoken as how you came to poetry as a reader, but how did you come to it as a writer as well? Yes. Um, I, mean, I, think, I think the idea of re the removal of poetry is, is extremely depressing, really. Mm. Um, I mean, even, even if you don't think that poetry is the most important thing in, in the world, and mm. uh, a lot of people have expressed that kind of reservation. But um, uh, it... Uh, Poetry does things, I think, that would be seriously missed if they were if they were sort of withdrawn. Really, mm. um, um, you know, it's, yeah. it's the essence of sort of, of verbal art and so on. And it's uh, it's a very good uh, starting point for um, resistance to oversimple views of the world. I mm. think. I mean, that's what that's what we learn with poetry, isn't it? Really, mm. yeah. that, uh, that things have. Really? Uh, uh, var variable meanings and complex meanings. Yeah. Um, um, it's just, I think, throwing out an example, really, but at the end of, say, the end of Shelley's Ozymandias, say, you know, when he says, mm. um, uh, no matter how, how young people are when they read that, the, the, um, the, the, the legend at the end of the poem, you know, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings, look on my work, you mighty and despair. I think a, a, a pretty um, naive reader will, will already grasp the idea that there's an irony there, you know, that uh, mm. he thinks he's king of kings and look on my work in despair because you can't compete with me because I'm the greatest king. But also, yeah. you know, it, all readers pick up on the idea mm. that uh, he's now just a heap of stone in the desert, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of thing that poetry at its best does, a, um, introduces a kind of um, scepticism, I suppose, mm. so, um, um, sense that um, uh, that the world has you know different um, meanings and takes, mm. um, and I yeah. think to, to withdraw um, um, poetry, um, I mean, it's 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 just that it's been changed as an option, hasn't it? Yeah, it's mm. yeah, yeah. To do novels and so on, but um, um, but uh, as I said, I mean, I don't think you need to believe that poetry is the single most important thing in the world, as uh, mm. um, as some some poets and, and some apologists of poetry do. Yeah. Um, you don't have to believe that to, to see that it's a, it is the removal of an important dimension, I think, if, um, yeah. if, if poetry stops being massive. Uh, Shelley Pem's a good example because it's so accessible but also mm. so complex, isn't it? Yes, yes. And it, it reaches out to questions of mortality and religion and also the politics and authoritarianism. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Those are very short. <laughs> yes, yes, that's yes, that's yeah. right, that's right. Yeah. But I, and I suppose um, Nietzsche or somebody said that philology, you know, the study of language, mm. is, is the yeah. art of slow reading. You know, mm. I think maybe that's one of the things that uh, mm. the poetry trains you in doing. You know, to yeah. And certainly careful reading as well, not just slow reading, but being able to look at things mm. in several different angles and from several yes. different perspectives. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, one of the things I did uh, been doing in recent years was um, I did that um, in in the very short introduction um, yeah. Austin series. Mm. I did the the book on poetry. Yeah, mm. for that thing, it was a bit of a, 
a bit of a challenge, really. I mean, but you're called like a Turin, it's very hard to see in a short book what exactly poetry is and does, you know. Yeah. But I think my um, my sense of priorities changed while I was doing it, you know. To begin with, when I started with, I had a very strong sense of the, the Shelleyan sense of, mm. you know, and, and poetry's public responsibility and so on. Poetry must, uh, must be... Yeah, answerable to the public world and I mean I do, I do believe that fundamentally still mm. but I think I slightly shifted ground while I was doing it and it's different at the end towards just thinking of poetry as primarily serious and that's um, that, that's his other claim apart from being um, uh, ambivalent and sceptical mm. it also has to uh, to have to, to meet uh, or fulfill Shelley's demand you know mm. it does have to be taking the world seriously mm. and offering something serious um, yeah. Yeah. Certainly. That was the position I sort of ended up with somehow. Hmm. This was also um, um, also this uh, the question of um, it's not being compulsory. All societies have, hmm. have had um, have had poetry. I mean, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Of course. Uh, it's earlier than prose, really. I mean, poetry was. Uh, there's no, no known society that just doesn't have hmm. some kind of poetic form, an artistic form. Artistic verbal form, you know, yeah. but, um, mm. um, but, uh, that is uh, that fulfills the role of poetry and culturally valued, of course, as well, centrally. So, in, yes, in yes, yes. Do you think then that there's a tension between poetry and its aesthetic sense and the busyness of modern life? How how do you think people could be encouraged to make a space for poetry in their lives? Or do you think it's yes. actually for the poet to adapt in order to make their work more relevant as times change? Yes, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, mm. that's an interesting question too, yes. I mean, how much does it have to change? I mean, clearly it does change mm. in the, the kinds of poetic form that are um, prominent in different eras, mm. changes um, from sort of epic to, to lyric and so mm. on, you know. Um, but... Uh, the essence of the kind of, of the aesthetic within poetry, of course, is a is um is a, is a interesting and challenging mm. one, isn't it? Because um, and the aesthetics of music are, are pretty clear, really, because mm. there's an abstraction to it that, um, that makes uh, mm. uh, the aesthetic more um, uh, more essential to it. Mm. The fact that poetry, of course, draws on the the, the general language of communication makes it. Uh, um, not less aesthetic, but not 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 wholly aesthetic in the same kind of way. Mm. Um, um, Alden said, you know, that uh, one of the things that just, that characterises poetry is the fact that it um, that it uses the language that everybody uses all the time. Mm. That it, that's its medium of expression. Yeah, um, yeah. But, um, and there's certainly been a, a change on that. Whereas whereas classical poets frequently use it quite a high high blown. Kunstsprache or artistic language, whereas yes. modern poets tend to speak in a more kind of tend to write and speak in a more down to earth. Mm. Yes, hey. that's another that's another question that I've, that arises and thinks about the, the definitions of poetry. You know, yeah. um, uh, intelligibility. I mean, one of the um, you know, the the of the objection that that that, that poetry tends to be highfalutin or whatever. And the people say, you know, um, mm. I don't know much about poetry, but I know what I like. That, that, that's that's mm. an argument. Mm. But I, think there's a, I think poetry is one of the places where there is, a, there is a case, not just for seriousness, but also for difficulty, really. Mm. The fascination of what's difficult. Um, yeah. Um, 
Um, and that's one of the things that the modernists again brought back into play. The fact that um, poetry doesn't have to be immediately intelligible, I think, to be um, to be effective. Mm. There's, there's room for a kind of um, um, uh, complexity, unfamiliarity, I mm. suppose. Yeah. You know? um, Defamiliarising, maybe, mm. was the word, wasn't it? That idea that... Um, a kind of interpretive struggle that, that, that results eventually in a kind of deeper understanding of it and of the language itself. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. It's sort of it's back to that point about you know um, um, about yeah, just about, about difficulty. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, as a teacher at the University of Oxford for many years, do you have firm views about how poetry is best to be taught, both the younger students in schools, but also in universities? Literature yes. of English is one field in which campaigners have highlighted as requiring a degree of decolonisation. And do you feel that a traditional education in the English canon can speak universally to the student experience as a way it perhaps once could? Yeah. Yes, I mean, colonisation is still a very uh, interesting term with, with mm. all kinds of um, both literal and kind of figurative senses to it, isn't it? Mm. Um, mm. Um, the, I suppose the, the traditional canon, the, you know, the, the WASP canon, White um, mm. English, and Protestant and, and all that, yep. you know, is... Um, is what's uh, kind of a, uh, under scrutiny, really. Mm. Um, but but I think the, the question is still how to um, see how language works in general and uh, what its implications are. Um, and even if, yeah, no matter what the, um, no matter what the, what the, um, the material, you know, uh, out of which um, writing uh, is constructed, um, I think that it's always there, ready to be um, to be scrutinised and, and examined. Um, I mean, and yeah, there are obvious ways, I suppose. I mean, I suppose sort of sexist or even sort of misogynistic biases in the uh, in, in the um, in the canon. Mm. It's clearly a, a major issue, really. Um, yeah, and also I suppose you know, the question, the the, the the other issues of um, of, of correctness are, are crucial and, and important. Um, and I suppose with the canon, you know, um, one does have to be aware of the uh, of the um, of the of its built-in biases, really. Um, yeah, certainly. It's question of, um, how is that to be? Um, Countered. Yeah. Um, perhaps. Yeah. So, are there any specific ways you personally think the way we should study and approach literature should change? Um, and what changes would you personally like to see at Oxford and also maybe further afield? Right. Right. That's a very interesting question, yes. Hmm. Um, I think I was. I was um, I was um, always um, so pleased, really, in a way, to um, to be involved in the um, in, in the whole business of um, of the literary, and you know, um, what what we all do for you know for a for a living is uh, is a pretty um, um, not exactly self indulgent, but a pretty rewarding thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What 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 should be different? Um, 
I suppose I belong to a, to um, an old-fashioned um, philological tradition as well, really, teaching Old English. I mean, um, one of the things I'm pleased to have done was, um, was, was Old English. Um, and I suppose the question of, um, uh, of poetry uh, no longer being compulsory reminds me a little bit of the old arguments about Old English. I'm not saying the Old English should be compulsory, much as I liked it, but um, uh, picking on something and saying this is compulsory, um, um, whereas other things aren't. Uh, but very often things are equally equally compulsory. I mean, um, when people said Old English is compulsory, well, you know, Shakespeare was compulsory as well, and uh, rightly so, you know. But um, uh, you, the, the the kind of breaking up of um, uh, of the elements of uh, of canons and courses and so on. It's quite. Uh, it, it's not exactly open to abuse, but it's uh, but it's a, a more kind of um, uh, um, uncertain thing than it said that sounds at first glance. Old English is compulsory at Oxford. It was compulsory at Oxford, mm. um, but it kind of it was, you know, and um, not everybody wanted that. But um, the things that. The things that uh, um, that have to be there. Um, mm-hmm. um, is it wonder what else there is that that uh, could be there that isn't? Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose an interesting case was um, when uh, when Dylan got the no, um, yeah with the Nobel Prize, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of fuss about that, but yeah. um, it was a question of what you. What you called what he did, wasn't it? I mean, mm. um, was that why that was clearly as for widening the canon, I mean, mm. wasn't it? Um, yeah, um, yeah, or recognizing that what what Dylan was doing was legitimately poetry, yes, and, yes. and legitimate and and effective, um, yes, mm. I suppose I think the biggest change in our time, I mean, it's, it's nothing very um imaginative about observation, but mm. uh, is the way of um. Is the function of memory, you know, and the um, the way um, information is stored and retrieved, and so on. It's it's compl- I mean, for your generation, I think it's quite hard to see just how different that is, and we haven't really caught up. I think with that huge change in um, uh, in, in um, whatever you call it, you know, in, in um, mm. uh, memory retrieval and so on. You can look up anything, you know, um, whereas. Um, one of the things that, in the old days, in my day, um, determined whether you were successful in this uh, business or not was was memory, really. Yeah. Uh, and so very often, um, with written examinations and so on, and examination of what people had remembered in their heads was what it was all about, really. And that probably wasn't the best way of doing it. And if there are modern um, technologies that, that counter that, um, as there are, you know, um, uh, and that's 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 probably a good thing, really. Yeah, I didn't have a very good memory, so um, no, and uh, special pleading here. Mm. Yeah, but, um, I think our, our last question will be this: um, Auden wrote famously that poetry makes nothing happen, and much has been said and written about the role of poetry in in the pandemic. And I wonder what your role, view of poetry's role is for people who are in the midst of suffering. Do you have any particular recommendations for poetic works which have brought 
solace and comfort in your own life? Yes. Um, it tends to be just uh, individual um, individual poems, sort of, um, sort of Yeats's love poems, things like that. But, um, yeah. um, but that's just expressing a preference, really. But yeah. um, I think, you know, the, it's the old question of um, what the, the, the Greek... Um, uh, Poet politician uh, George Seferis said, "You know, the yeah. poetry is strong enough to help. You know, what exactly? Yeah. What areas there are where you think it can help? You know, um, uh, and whenever cr- cr- crises arise, I mean, like the pandemic, but uh, also um, um, the Iraq War, for instance, things like that. Um, it, w- the first thing people do is, like uh, Dean Lewis, say, you know, um, where are the war poets?" Um, and uh, start a kind of proje- a project. I think Caroline Duffy did with the um, beginning of this year and at uh, Manchester Metropolitan University. She started um, a kind of process of, um, of collecting um, uh, COVID-related uh, poems. Um, so I suppose it depends on the crisis in a way. I mean, what do you want to be consoled for? But I'm a great believer, in, to get back more precisely to your question, in the idea of elegy and uh, consolation. That's one of the things that poetry can do. Yeah. The, there are many, many things that I've written that very much claimed for, but I mean, the, the couple of things I'm happiest with are sort of elegies, where you, um, where you can, because it's a way of, um, of uh, expressing uh, sympathy and understanding and... and benevolence towards somebody or something. I think poetry does that very well. Um, um, yeah. And uh, yeah. um, Heaney's, um, back with the Irish, I'm afraid, but Heaney's and Yeats's um, elegies, you know, are great, um, yeah. um, great uh, mm. poems. Heaney's poem uh, called Casualty, for instance, you know, is that. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Bernard, for giving up your time to talk with us today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you enjoyed this this podcast, please follow the ISIS magazine on Facebook or Spotify and do look out for our upcoming episodes in this series. Thanks so much for listening.